This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Hey, everybody. You may not know this yet, and if you don't, prepare to be blown away. We are creating right now the first ever Stuff You Should Know book. It's called Stuff You Should Know, colon, an incomplete compendium of mostly interesting things. And you can pre-order it now. That's right. And if you pre-order everyone, there's an incentive because you get a free gift. And don't worry if you've already pre-ordered because you can just head on over to stuffyoushouldreadbooks.com. It's a very beautiful little webpage and it's got all the information. And if you've already pre-ordered, can't you just like upload your receipt and get that pre-order gift? Yep, you can. And they will mail it off to you and you will get it in the mail and say, oh, thank you. Don't mind if I do. And it's a poster that you will love and cherish and possibly pass on down to your children as an heirloom. That's right, everyone. We couldn't be more excited about this book. It's really coming together well. It's us through and through. And you can go check out some excerpts at StuffYouShouldReadBooks.com. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryan over there. Jerry's around here somewhere, so this is Stuff You Should Know, everybody. The Wrath of God edition. Hi. Hi. I've been singing that Bob Dylan song all day. Oh, yeah. I, you know what's weird? I have, too, and I hadn't realized it until you just said that. Really? Yeah. My brain is effed. Uh, which song? Hard Rain's Gonna Fall or <laughs> yeah. Hurricane? Hurricane. Hard Rain's okay. Gonna Fall. Are you crazy? Well, that would fit, too. I guess it would. It hadn't even occurred to me. Great song, Hurricane. Now I'm going to be singing Hard Rain's Gonna Fall, which is not nearly as good as the Hurricane song. I'm surprised you know any Bob Dylan song. I'm, that's shocking to Those me. Those are the two. <laughs> you know more than that. Nope, that's it. Oh, I know All that one that Star? goes. <laughs> What's that one? Oh, it's all of them. Gotcha. God bless him. He's got a new album out. It's great. Dude, how many does that make? Mm, he's got a lot of records. Yeah, he does. Jeez. Well, good Hurricane's for him. Hurricane's a great song, though. It is. It was a good movie, too. Sad. I didn't see that. Uh, yeah, Denzel Washington, yeah. I believe, played him. And yes, it's, I mean, if you like Injustice, you're going to love that movie. Well, you mean, if you like movies about fighting injustice, that's <laughs> what you mean, right? Yes. <laughs> Either way, you're going to like the movie. I love injustice. <laughs> right. Sadly, there are people who say things like that these days. That's true. So, um, Chuck, we're talking about hurricanes, not the Bob Dylan song, but about the actual like weather system 
weather disaster anomaly. I, I guess. think you mean typhoons. Uh, no, I, I mean hurricanes, but that's the same thing, and so is Chuck. You mean cyclones? Kind of, yes. All three of those are this one and the same. Did you know that? You know, I think I knew that and just sort of forgot because when I read it, I was like, oh, yeah, I think I knew that. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it just depends on where they occur in the world, basically, that there's, I mean, aside, aside from exactly, you know, um, where they occur, where they make land, and then the way that they turn and move, they are the same thing. They start the same way. They're the same uh, group of, of weird, you know, weather coincidences that happen to assemble into something. And um, hurricanes, to me, are as good as it gets natural disaster-wise. I mean, they are as interesting as they come. They are so ridiculously destructive. And then theoretically, what they could do if they got even worse, which they may, um, it, it just boggles the mind. I'm a Hurricane fan in a way, but I hate Miami uh, as far as their university is concerned. <laughs> uh, you hate the U? Nah, not really. I'm just teasing. Yeah, and I think the other thing about hurricanes is so fascinating is it's um, it, it's a regular thing. It's not like a volcanic eruption or a tsunami, uh, you know, or an earthquake. It's, you know, every year there are going to be, you know, uh, like 100 tropical storms. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 30 to 50 of these are going to develop into hurricanes. You can count on it. Right. Jack. <laughs> yeah. And they actually, they have seasons, to tell you the truth, They're, depending on where you are in the world. In the um, northern hemisphere, especially in the Atlantic, you've got what's appropriately called the Atlantic hurricane season. And it runs from about June 1st to November 30th. Um, down under, in the southern hemisphere, they have a hurricane season that runs from about January to March. Um and again, like there's some differences to them, but it's, it's essentially the same thing. It's just that hurricanes tend to form over the North Atlantic and Northeast Pacific. Um, and then cyclones are over the South Pacific and the Indian Ocean. And then typhoons tend to hit the Northwest Pacific Ocean around Asia to the Middle East. That's right. So I think the Australians would call them cyclones. Right. Is that right? Yep. Uh and we call them good old hurricanes. That's right. And actually, hurricane, since we're just spouting out facts about hurricanes at this point right now, it actually comes from an old um, Mayan word, hurricane, which is the name for one of their gods of destruction of thunder and lightning and wind and, I b- believe, maybe rain, who brought the flood that destroyed almost all people and then made it recede. Uh, because humanity had gotten too wicked. And if that sounds familiar, that's because there's a flood story in basically every culture in the world, which makes me really wonder, like, what happened? What is everybody talking about that actually may have happened at some point? I just find that fascinating. Yeah, and how a hurricane forms can get very convoluted, as we realized (laughs) when we uh, started diving into this research, Mm -hmm. And we'll describe it in a bit more detail, but you know me and my Earth Science for Kids websites, They're which so I great. adore. Yeah. Uh, in the very simplest of terms, uh, hurricanes form over warm ocean waters mm-hmm. uh, near the equator in the tropics. And that warm, moist air rises up and then is replaced by cooler air. Mm-hmm. And then that air warms up and starts to rise. And that just causes this cycle that starts these clouds to form and they start rotating and they get a little more organized. And if there's enough of that warm water, 
uh, eventually that wind's going to pick up and you're going to get a hurricane. Yep. And they move in the northern hemisphere, especially in the Atlantic, um, which we're going to kind of focus on Atlantic hurricanes here. But again, most of the stuff we're talking about applies to cyclones and typhoons too. But in the Atlantic in particular, they usually start off of the west coast of Africa and move down toward the equator where they slide over through the Caribbean and then up along Florida, the Carolinas, um, sometimes to New England, but most of the time they'll hit the the, uh, the Gulf Stream and will be carried up to England where they peter out and show up for a pint at the pub. Yeah, and, you know, hurricanes will, they eventually will die out 100%. Um, landfall will make them die out because, yeah. like, that's the worst part for people, you know, living on planet Earth because that's where it hits the land. But that actually means the hurricane is dying because there's not that warm water anymore. Right. Um, or the further north they go, the cooler that water gets, and that'll just peter it out as well. Yeah, which, I mean, if you really think about it, when you take all these factors into consideration— just those two, that it needs warm water and um, that it can't be over land. Like, a hurricane is a startling series of coincidences that happen, yeah. like, again and again repeatedly during a certain section of the year in certain sections of the world. And they it just takes everything being perfect, like a perfect storm, but over and over again for these things to happen. And like you said, you know, there's so many different storms that form off the west coast of Africa or off the, uh, the or, yeah, or off the west coast of Australia um, that can form into these things. But they don't. They usually don't because all of those factors just aren't working just perfectly for the thing to not only kind of catch to ignite in a way, um, but also to kind of develop steam and to really pick up and become a problem. Yeah, and I know what you mean about <laughs> loving hurricanes in a certain weird way. Um, obviously, the landfall and the, des- the destruction is terrible, and we don't wish that ever. Absolutely. But when you see those images— uh, from above of the hurricane rotating and how big it is, it's just uh, it's humbling and just sort of mind-boggling display of nature at work. You know, right? It is. I, I mean, that, that hits it on the head. It's definitely They're not amazing. all the death and property destruction that I'm a fan of. No, of course not. <laughs> I, I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> I love injustice. <laughs> I know, man. This is. What happened to you overnight? So, um, so let's let's talk about this. Let's talk about how a hurricane actually forms and then what it forms into. Okay, we're going to do the Earth I, science I'm done thing. With oh, that part. Okay, well I'll take over. <laughs> Everybody, I hope you like my voice because that's all you're going to hear for a little while. Uh, I think if they're <clears> listening, they're probably used to that. Um, do you know when we first started this, I couldn't stand my voice. Couldn't stand it. Yeah. Yeah. I finally reached and now, a detente. Where are you now? I, I reached a detente with it. Oh, okay. I just ignore it. Um, so, uh, Chuck, you've got air, <laughs> right? Oh, boy. <laughs> okay. Air over the ocean and over the land, the stuff that's closest to the surface, is actually the warmest, which, as you know, like if you've ever been skydiving, it's really cold up there. I haven't. No, well, it's really cold up there, trust me. Um, and when you, um, or like if you're ever, like if you climb a mountain or something, it's always cold up there. One reason why is because... Never done it. The... <laughs> Just trust me. Trust me. The, the upstairs of my house is cooler. And it shouldn't be. It should be much warmer because heat <laughs> rises in your house. 
Yeah, but the AC up there, there's fewer rooms. It just really packs it <laughs> okay. in. Okay. <laughs> uh, you're making this earth science thing way hard. So the the air at the surface of the earth is warmer because it gets warmed by the earth or by the ocean, right? Open, ocean temperatures kind of tend to warm with the seasons. And so by around June 1st, which was when hurricane season starts, you've got an ocean which with surface temperatures hovering around 79 to 80 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay. Yeah, and I think 80 is where you've got to be kind of, that's the threshold yeah. to even get, if you want to talk about hurricanes, yeah. it's got to go to 80 degrees. Exactly, and not just at the very surface. I think it needs to be that down to about 150 feet because hurricanes oh, mix okay. a lot of water together. And if it's not warm water that stays available, it's not. It's just going to peter out, right? Yeah. So you need 80 degree at a minimum um, surface temperature water down to 150 feet. And so... Um, you've got that going on in the ocean around certain times of year. And if we can travel into the interior of Africa, all the way to Sudan, a little monarch butterfly will flap its wings, and that creates an air disturbance. And weeks mm-hmm. later, that develops into an even bigger disturbance, and it moves further west across Africa and finally off the coast, and it will encounter that warm water and warm air that's, that's being heated by the water. And that disturbance will actually encounter that water that's evaporating and rising. And as that water evaporates and rises, um, it's becoming less dense, right? The, the molecules that make up that air with the water vapor are further apart then cold air that's above it. Well, nature abhors a vacuum, right? And when that air leaves that area right above the the surface of the ocean, cold air starts to move in below it, right? Which pushes the other air further upward. But then that cold air is warmed up too, and that starts to rise. And so what you have under this disturbance in the air that was created by a butterfly's wings in Sudan is this, this motion in the ocean (laughs) <laughs> I saw that coming. <laughs> that, that is kind of this upward trajectory of air constantly moving upward, and it's full of water vapor, so it's when it gets high enough up into the cooler um, regions in the atmosphere, it, it condenses and forms clouds, and those clouds eventually start to rain. And as it condenses and starts to rain, that actually heats up that area. The latent heat of condensation heats up that area. So now you have this column of warm, moist air rising up, moving, with cold air trying to come in and replace it as the warm air moves. And you have a lot of air movement. You have some storms starting. And you have all the ingredients now for what could become a hurricane. That's right. And uh, that that heat exchange is going on, and that's going to create a lot of wind. And that's just going to make everything worse because those winds converge at the surface. Mm-hmm. And they're colliding with each other, and that's pushing that warm, moist air up and up. And that cycle just starts to happen, that rotational cycle Mm -hmm. that's so tied to, like, the image of a hurricane. Right. And uh, those winds get involved, and everything kind of— Everything kind of just synchronizes, yeah. it seems like. Right, exactly. I mean, like, that's what I'm talking about with all the different coincidences that have to, number one, be present and then have to work just right. Because if that wind that's converging at the surface to replace that warm, moist air that's rising, um, man, I've never said moist this many times in my life and been okay with mm-hmm. it, but I'm, I'm all right so far. How are you doing? I'm great. Okay. Um, if the, the, the speed of that wind that's coming in at the surface is different than, say, like the speed of that, you know, higher up in that column, you're going to have what's called wind shear, 
and it's going to keep the storm from being organized into a cohesive whole. So just that factor alone, that somehow yeah. the winds at different levels of this storm that's starting to organize have to be moving at roughly the same speed, that's a big one, right? Um, and then because of these these thunderstorms that are are, are starting and the more condensation that's um, that they're heating more and more, so they're creating more and more storms. So you've got all these storms that are kind of starting around this area, and they start to get organized together. And then this is this eventually this is um, called a tropical depression. And it'll eventually, if all if everything that we're going to keep talking about happens just precisely right, it's going to organize into a tropical storm and then a hurricane. And then the hurricane, as we'll see, goes through different stages of categorization, and it all has to do with the speed of those winds that have now kind of organized into this rotational monster, which is really a tight or sometimes a loose collection of storms that form one big storm. That's what a hurricane is, that are all kind of moving in the same direction at about the same speed. And it all has to do with that that thing that started all this, that rising moist air in that one spot. Because as these different storms assemble into a larger, more cohesive whole, the center, the lowest pressure center, right, where the there's the most, the warmest, moistest air is rising up, um, it also has the lowest pressure. And because nature abhors vacuum, uh, higher pressure air is trying to come in to fill it. But there's something that um, we have to talk about called the Coriolis effect. And here's where things really run off the rails for us. Take it, Chuck. Yeah, the Coriolis effect is uh, when you see that hurricane rotating, that's a byproduct or I guess a product of that Coriolis force, which is, we've talked about it before, but it's the natural phenomenon that makes fluids and any kind of free-moving object mm-hmm. either go to the right of their destination, if you're in the northern hemisphere, or to the left in the southern hemisphere, right. uh, not uh, toilets in Australia. <laughs> I thought as we found out. I thought we said that. Okay, so I thought I said it wasn't true, and somebody showed us that it was. It was the opposite. Yeah, I think it's not true. Well, we'll find out again. <laughs> but at any rate, in the northern hemisphere, your winds deflect to the right. In the southern hemisphere, they're going to deflect to the left. Mm-hmm. And this that deflection that gets the storm spinning, and that's why you get different rotations in each hemisphere. They rotate counterclockwise here in the northern hemisphere and clockwise in the southern hemisphere. Right. But we do need to keep going with the Coriolis effect. Sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to scare everybody. But the Coriolis effect does two things. It makes the, the hurricane rotate, like you were saying, basically mm-hmm. on an axis around that lowest pressure center. And then it also moves the hurricane physically itself as it kind of travels southward from West Africa toward the equator, which is really bizarre because at the equator, the Coriolis effect is at its absolute weakest, its strongest at the poles. But for some reason, something about the Coriolis effect moves the hurricane. Like a hurricane could theoretically cross the equator from the northern hemisphere to the southern. Who knows right. what would happen when it when it transferred over to the other, like the opposite Coriolis effect. As far as we know, event horizon it, probably. As far as we know, it's never happened. But we've only been keeping track of this stuff for about a hundred years. But. It just doesn't ever seem to happen. For some reason, the Coriolis effect, despite being weakest at the equator, moves hurricanes back upward, over and up, back and to the left, right? 
That's right. So the Coriolis effect does two very important things for hurricanes, but probably the biggest one, the most important one, as far as the hurricane itself is concerned, is to keep that thing spinning around in the same motion, clockwise or counterclockwise, depending on your hemisphere. All right, I think we should take a break, and uh, we can come back and talk a little bit about what these different categories mean uh, right after this. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. So, so Chuck, before we talk categories, I, I have to pop one more thing in about the Coriolis effect. Okay. It's important. You ready? Sure. So that lowest pressure center, what's called the eye, mm-hmm. that is actually um, it's the clearest part of the hurricane. Sometimes it's clear skies, um, yeah. beautiful, eerily calm. And the reason why is because of that Coriolis effect the the lowest pressure center is never overwhelmed by the higher pressure air that's trying to get in. The whole reason that hurricane spins around the center is because all that wind from sometimes hundreds of miles away is traveling to that center, trying to fill it, but the Coriolis effect deflects it. They end up going around that center, the winds, and then up, so lifting more warm air up, and they never make it to that middle, which is what causes that. And the stronger the winds, meaning the stronger the pressure gradient between the center of the the, uh, hurricane and the outer bands beyond the eye wall, the stronger the difference between that gradient, the stronger the hurricane's going to be because the stronger the winds are going to be trying to fill that low-pressure void. That's what causes hurricanes to spin around clockwise or counterclockwise. That is absolutely fascinating to me. It's very cool. The eye of the storm, calmest place in the world. It really is. Although it's counterintuitive. It is. So these categories, uh, category one, and this is all broken down in very sort of, uh, I mean, there's, there's really, there's, it's, it's pretty stiff as 
far as how they categorize these things. <laughs> right. It's not willy-nilly. They don't say like, hmm, this, it's getting pretty bad. I think it's a two. They actually measure things, and uh, there are demarcation lines by <laughs> usually wind speeds is one of the big parts. Yeah. Um, 74 to 95 miles per hour is a category one. And that's going to, you know, I could blow a, a tree branch into your roof. Sure. Or or get some shingles uh, shuddering. You might have to get out the pruners. Category two is 96 to 110 miles per hour. That's getting pretty dangerous, and you're going to get some pretty extensive uh, damage at this point. Um, like, you know, the siding of your house, the frame of your house. Uh, shallow trees can be snapped or uprooted at this point. Uh, you're probably going to get some power loss. Right. Uh, number three is a major hurricane. Uh, category three is 111 to 129 miles an hour, and they rank this as devastating damage. Mm-hmm. And, you know, lots of trees uprooted. You definitely will lose probably power and water for a period of time for the category three. Uh, and then you've got your Category 4, which is 130 to 156. Category 5 is 157 or higher. You're probably not going to see many Cat 5s, but the Cat 4 is pretty catastrophic. And those are the ones that we've seen more and more of in more recent years. Right. Uh, category 5s are just, uh, yeah, that's extreme catastrophe. They're monsters. Monsters. So category four and five, there's not a tremendous amount of difference. They're both, like you said, considered catastrophic um, damage-causing hurricanes. But I, I get the impression that the difference between a four and five in real, like real life, is substantial. But either way, they're going to like leave so many trees and power lines down that you're this that whatever area gets hit substantially by one of those um, category four or fives are going to basically be isolated both without power, but also um, the roads are going to be made impassable. And sometimes you can be stuck in the midst of this for weeks uh, before you can can be reached again. The destruction can be so bad from them. Yeah, and, you know, if you are a coastal liver, um, this is a part of your life every year. Uh, hurricane season is uh, a big deal. You've got your, your house retrofitted, ideally, at this point. Mm-hmm. I think, like, almost any coastal house these days is on stilts. Uh, if it's, you know, built in the last 20-plus years. Well, not just that. I think after 2005, I want to say it was Hurricane Andrew, um, Florida in particular passed new building codes that said, like, if you put a roof on, it has to have, like, this kind of joist and, um, like, whatever windows are put in have to be, like, windproof up to 130 miles per hour. They've definitely, like, started to take that seriously because so many people were dying before, but also because of the billions and billions of dollars of property damage that would happen every year. Yeah. I mean, here in Atlanta, obviously, we don't get hurricanes. Coastal Georgia, we certainly do. But uh, we do get the outer bands of the hurricane, and we can get some really bad wind and rain and some flooding and stuff like that. But we're obviously far enough inland to where the eye of the hurricane is not going to really affect us. But uh, if you're in the the Gulf or along the Florida or South Carolina, North Carolina, up into Virginia even, um, and, you know, like you said, they can go higher, Maryland and New England, but and even New York City. But generally, I think like kind of from Virginia down is where you're going to be the most worried in hurricane season. So, um, you know, uh, Yumi and I have a place in Florida, right? And we were down there once, and I think it was Hurricane Michael— 
uh, a year or so ago came through and we got out of there and came up to Atlanta and that thing followed us all the way up to Atlanta and knocked the power out um, at our place there. Was that a shaggy dog story? <laughs> Do you know, what a, shaggy, know what that means. a shaggy dog story is a story that seems um, uh, uh, worthwhile or worth saying to the person saying it, but not to anybody else. Oh, I don't think so. Yeah. And why do they call it a shaggy dog story? I have no idea. We need to get to the bottom of that someday. No, I think it's a great story. Um, and I remember when that happened, in fact. <laughs> you do? Sure. Wow. I love it when my Just... life is part of your life. <laughs> I know. It's like uh happens two or three times a year. Sure. <laughs> and every Tuesday. That's right. Uh, yeah, I totally remember that. And you've also, um, you know, like any good coastal liver, you've got... Uh, hurricane shutters and stuff like that, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. And like the high-impact windows and all that stuff. Yeah, you just got to do that stuff these days. Oh, you definitely do. And it's like really kind of scary if you're out there not like that, you know, because it was 2005 when they passed that building code. There's a lot of places that haven't been retrofit. And, you know, it's like the whole community kind of comes together to take care of everybody who, who needs help around that time, which is pretty cool. But one of the reasons why everybody has, you know, days to prepare for this kind of thing and go to the store and buy every banana you can get your hands on and like five loaves of bread and all that um, and put up sandbags and stuff is because of the modeling and um, forecasting that has has been developed in the last, I don't know, 50, 60 years um, that's really saved a lot of people's lives because we didn't have warnings before. It was just the sky started to look pretty bad and, you know, an hour or two later, your town was gone. Yeah, and it, it's, you know, I rent uh, the beach house on Isle of Palms every usually, and all those houses are, you know, 15 feet off the ground on those on those legs. And it's just crazy to me to think about the old days when you would just have a house sitting on the sand, like yeah. 75 feet from the from high tide. <laughs> it's just such a bad idea. Because such a bad idea. One of the things, one of the big problems that make hurricanes so destructive, Chuck, is that not only um, is it the wind that can come through, and you know, once it reaches, I think like a category three, four, or five, you're, you're that's when you're going to start to lose your deck. Um, mm -hmm. Not just your deck, sorry, your roof decking is really what I meant. You'd be like <laughs> yeah. my deck. Which would yeah. suck because decks are kind of expensive, but it's your roof decking that you'd really be worried about. And that happens when the the wind itself pierces the envelope of your house. Like it right. breaks a window or something like that. And now all of a sudden you've got a pressure difference inside and outside of your house, which yeah. can actually pop the roof right off of your house, which once that happens, your your walls start to give way. It's a bad jam. Wind is very destructive too. But the reason people started putting houses on stilts is because that wind is so strong and the hurricane can be so massive that it actually pushes the ocean inland. Yeah, it's It's not like a huge wave. It's a... It's here's the ocean way further inland than it should be, and it's called a, a storm surge, and it's a huge problem with, with hurricanes. Yeah, and, you know, I've been to places before and after uh, just from year to year on vacation, and the it can literally remake the coastline. Um, they look vastly different mm -hmm. after a hurricane. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the, one of the years we went to Isle of Palms, it was after a hurricane, and instead of— uh, you know, the walk to the beach from the house instead of, you know, that sort of gradual uh, decline to the to the water, 
it was a in some places like a 12 15 foot drop right of just a, a, a sheer wall cliff of sand and people had ladders and stuff like that you would literally have to climb down a ladder to get down to the to the oceany beach part yeah and that's not good if your house is built on that sand that used to be there and as we saw in our um we're running out of sand and that really matters episode that we need that sand we can't afford the ocean to yeah. just come reclaim that that's our sand yeah, and well, the good thing about Isle of Palms, though, is those houses are set back a great deal. Uh, they're not on that sand. There's that big area of sea grass and just Dunes. shrubbery and stuff in between. Yeah, uh, and so it's it's just a safer bet when you're trying to book a place, right? Because it's not it's not hurricane proof, but uh, by the time the water gets there, I mean that would have to be a really really big surge. Yeah. Um, but it happens. It does happen. I mean, it, it definitely, like a storm surge can be pretty bad. I think Hurricane Harvey uh, in Houston in 2017, oh, yeah, one man. of the reasons it was so destructive, it was, from what I saw, it was the second most expensive storm um, that's ever hit the U.S. It cost $128, <laughs> that's it, it cost <laughs> $128 billion in um, damages. And one of the reasons why is because of that storm surge. And not just, you know, flooding houses and causing property damage. That kind of storm surge can overwhelm your sewer system and mess with your drinking water supply and do all sorts of horrible stuff. It can kill off tons of wildlife because that's something that gets overlooked in hurricanes. You know, we humans are so worried about us and then our pets and everything. The wildlife itself can really take a hit. Like fish. Hurricanes can kill fish. That's how destructive they are. They slam them into like underwater outcroppings and sandbars and stuff and just kill the fish. That's how yeah. that's how forceful these things are. So there's a lot of other problems that arise from the hurricane, in particular the storm surge too, that we've only really started to kind of grasp in the last like few decades of of examining um, hurricanes. Yeah, but you were talking about tracking. It's gotten so much better these days. Um, on the ground, there's something called the a Regional Specialized Meteorolo- Meteorological Centers. And this is just basically a network all around the world of global centers uh, that are designated by the World Meteorological Organization. And they are the ones who track these things using weather satellites, uh, using... Uh, infrared technology and infrared sensors. Yeah. They're, they're going to detect all those, all the minutia of the temperature differences, uh, cloud heights, all these things, you know, you, how you mentioned that all these things have to kind of be perfect. They have all these ways of measuring these uh, little bits of perfection as they align. And they know pretty well now, um, you know, things can change and things can reverse course. I know people get frustrated when they keep changing the path of the hurricane, you know, they don't keep changing it when they report on changes. <laughs> right. But that's, I think people kind of act that way sometimes. No, like, they do for sure. Well, you know, you make me leave my house and this thing didn't even make landfall. Yeah. It's like they're, they're doing a pretty good job and they're doing the best they can. Well, it's problematic too as far as forecasting goes because if you do that to people in a coastal area, you know, a couple of times in one year, yeah, they're going to stop listening both. to you and, you know, you might be 100% right and, and something's going to make landfall right on top of them and they're not going to leave. So there is definitely a fine line and there is kind of a balance between knowing too soon and um, and not knowing at all. And yeah. we're kind of working our way toward that sweet spot for sure. And it's gotten way better. But 
very, very famously, if you ever follow hurricanes um, as they start to kind of come toward the U.S., like the, there's the fam- the spaghetti model. Have you ever seen one of those? Yeah. So all of those is just a tangle of tracks of the hurricane that have been forecasted. So the European model is typically thought of as probably the most accurate. And that's put together by an agency in Europe. And they say, here's the track that we think. And then there's like 10 or a dozen or 15 different agencies and groups all forecasting a track. When you put them all together, it looks like different colored lines of spaghetti over the map. And you get a pretty good idea of just where the, the thing's going to go based on all of these different um, predictions, kind of like the wisdom of crowds, you know what I mean? Where the more information you have and you put together, the more guesses you put together, probably the closer combined they're going to be to accurate than any one of them individually would have a chance to be. Yeah, and the cool thing about spaghetti models, and this is true of like uh, percentage of rain and stuff that you might see every day, is a lot of it is based on past data. Um, like what's going on now for sure. But then when you plug that into all the past data and behaviors of storms in the past and what they've done and how they've moved and behaved, Mm -hmm. you can get a pretty cool model. And I've always loved that about weather that they use so much historical data to predict what could happen this time. Right. That's what they use to produce the cone of uncertainty, which is one of the most confusing meteorological models, maybe any kind of model there is on the planet. Um, Uh It's a really great, useful tool if you know what it's talking about. If you don't know exactly what it's talking about, it's seriously confusing and really misleading in a lot of ways. But what the cone of uncertainty is, everybody's seen it. It's like kind of like this funnel. It looks like a tornado, basically, that, that looks like it shows the path and width of the hurricane. It goes from kind of small to wider and wider and wider. So it looks like what it's showing you is the track of a hurricane and how big the hurricane's going to grow over time. That's not at all what the cone of uncertainty shows. What the cone of uncertainty is instead, it's a plot of like, I think about five different circles representing the next 24, 48, 72, on to five days out, forecasts. And it says, here's all the data we have, and we're crunching those numbers, and then we're, we're comparing them to how accurate we were in the last five years for predicting hurricanes that were five years out. And then all of a sudden, when you put that together, that forms a circle. And that five-day-out circle is always the biggest one because it's hardest to predict weather patterns five days out. But what it looks like when you take those increasingly larger circles and connect them with the line is that it's forming a path. And really what it's showing is this is the potential distance between the track of the hurricane, the center of the hurricane. Um, and it could it could land anywhere in here, not the edges of it. We're talking just just the center. So every time hurricane season rolls around, people go and look up what the cone of uncertainty means because it doesn't mean at all what you you think it does. Hopefully I've cleared it up for like two people and I probably just confused the other million even further. Uh, The cool thing about those two is that they can be changed with a Sharpie. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) It's really neat. Seen it done. Uh, All right. I think we should take a break maybe and come back and talk about these hurricane names and a little history. How about that? Let's do it.
This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. All right, so hurricane names are named after people now. Uh, This wasn't always the case, and I didn't know this. This is kind of cool, but for many hundreds of years, if you were in the West Indies, you would hear hurricanes named after the Catholic Saints Day on the day that that storm made landfall. So it it would be like Hurricane San Felipe hit Puerto Rico on September 13, 1876. Another little fun fact is if another hurricane hits on that same day, which actually happened uh, in 1928 on September 13th, they would name it the second. So that was Hurricane uh, San Felipe the second. Uh, during World War II is when we started to give human names, uh, and they were all masculine names, though. Yeah, and, and kind of followed that whole, like, Bravo, Whiskey, Tango thing. Yeah, how does that, I don't understand that. Well, it's like the. What do you mean? It's like because those aren't names. I don't understand it either. From what I okay. saw, <laughs> from what I saw, we didn't really start to use names in the West um, until I think the fifties or the seventies. So masculine names like Bravo and Tango is just a. They're calling that a masculine name. I guess so because I think okay. we started using human names in the fifties, and then um, we started using um, male and female names in the 70s at first it was all first they were they were ladies right yeah and they said well that's that's not cool to name that after a a woman and and every time you guys show like the the weather model the forecast model it's it's not a hurricane it's a woman with rollers in her hair and a rolling pin yelling right seems sexist (laughs) and everyone finally said you know you're right. That is sexist. So we're going to start to alternate between men's names and women's names. And so at the beginning of every hurricane season, the um, the what is it, the World Meteorological Association? Yeah. Organization, sorry. They release a list of all of the names that the, the Atlantic hurricane season could possibly have. And each name starts with a different letter, A, B, C, D, and so on. Can I list this year's? Yeah. 
You got Arthur. Okay. Bertha. Nice. Cristobal. Yeah. Uh, you got Dolly. You got Edward. Mm-hmm. You have Faye. Okay. And we should mention, too, that they use, you know, names from uh, places all over the world now, which is great because hurricanes affect places all over the world. Yeah. Uh, so you have Faye, then you have Gonzalo. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have Hana. You have, uh, I don't even know how you pronounce this, I-S-A-I-A-S. Isaiah? Isaias? No. <laughs> I-S-A-I-A-S. I-S-A-I-A-S. Isaias? Sure. Isaias? Isaias. Then you got Josephine. Nice name. Uh, you got Kyle. You got Laura. You got Marco. You've got Nana. Sweet Nana. <laughs> uh, you've got Omar. Uh, Paulette, which I for, for some reason sounds funny to me. Yeah. Hurricane Paulette. Yeah. Uh, you've got Renee, Sally, Teddy, Vicky, and finishing up, because they don't have uh, Y or Z for some reason, uh, Wilfred. That's a good one. Hurricane Wilfred sounds tough. Or an X. Yumi's predicted that Hurricane Nana is going to be a particularly bad one. She Because she it's the sweetest it. grandma name? I think so. Yeah. And there's actually a, a longstanding um, myth that was supposedly... Um, uh, found to be correct by some study a few years back that people um, don't respect the female names of hurricanes. What? Yeah, so there's this whole... What do you mean respect? There's Okay, I I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm putting everything so terribly today, but get this. (laughs) There's this, this, this urban legend that hurricanes that have women's names are the most okay. destructive because people don't take them as seriously and they don't leave. So there's more people present to be killed when a hurricane lands for a woman named hurricane than a man named hurricane. And for uh, a long time, true, yeah, it? for a long time, it was just this kind of old wives tale or something. And then this, this study found in like, I think 2014 or something like that, that no, this actually is true. Somebody sat down and crunched the numbers. And then finally, I think, Two years ago, they're like, this study was terrible, and that's absolutely not true. If We looked at the numbers, too, and that's just not the case. All right. Well, that's good to know, because that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It is kind of dumb. But it has, like, this weird kernel of truth to it. It's like a perfect urban legend. You know what I mean? Yeah, because it's it believable. Yeah. And who's, um, who's ever going to sit down and prove it one way or another, you know? Yeah, that's true. So, oh, oh, wait, hold on. One more thing, Chuck, while we're on names. Yes. Um, there are different names elsewhere in the world. So the names you just said, those are for Atlantic hurricanes. In Australia, they have their own set of names that they name cyclones. And then elsewhere in the world, there's 13 member nations that name typhoons and some cyclones. Um, countries like Bangladesh and India and Thailand, each one submits 13 names, and each list contains 13 names from each one of those countries. So you have 160 names to choose from every year. So depending on where you are in the world, a weather pattern is going to have a much more localized name than, than what you would expect. That's right. And if a hurricane is really destructive, they will retire that and I'm using air quotes there because they really just put it down for 10 years. Uh, I don't know why they just don't do it forever. Like there should never be another, like in 11 years, surely they won't have a Hurricane Katrina or an Andrew or a Harvey, right? I don't know. Like why would they? There's so many names. I don't know. Why bring it any name back? I have no idea. I think they're like, we have better things to do than come up with more stupid names. (laughs) You know? 
Yeah, I just, uh, I mean, they obviously do that to avoid confusion. Uh, and once a storm is sort of this legendary storm, like a Katrina, yeah, um, there's just no reason to ever name another one that. No, it's, no, I'm with you. I agree. Um, even if you you don't believe in luck, I just think it's not a good idea. It does seem like 10 years is a little short. I could not see them doing another Katrina. That's just not going to happen, you know? No, there's no way. So let's talk about climate change. You want to? Yeah. Uh, well, before we talk about climate change, just quickly, as far as the historical record goes, you know, there's always been hurricanes, and this will kind of segue nicely into climate change because things are getting worse. But there always have been hurricanes, uh, even way back in the day. We didn't have great records, but there are um, – you, you can do research on uh, like cave wall drawings and things like that seem to indicate stuff like hurricanes – and I think there was a LSU team that studied thousands of years of lake bed evidence, and they can tell that over, I think, like 3,400 years, there have been about a dozen Category 4 or higher in that area, uh, most of which were in the past thousand years. Right. Um, that seems low, doesn't else? it? Yeah, it does. But, I mean, that's just for that area. Um, another one, there was a really big uh, hurricane, historically speaking, when um, Genghis Khan was going to invade Japan in 1274. The Mongols were invading Japan. There was a fleet that had something like 100 or 200,000 people on board, and they were really going to invade Japan. And a hurricane blew in and sunk the fleet. And the Japanese had a name for this incredible, miraculous act of mercy by whatever God was watching over them, uh, they named it Divine Wind. Yeah. And that actually would come into term into uh, use later on in World War II because Divine Wind in Japanese is kamikaze. Kamikaze? Yeah. And that's a chapter in our book, right? I'm so glad. I was teeing you up. I was like, come on, Chuck. I didn't know you if we could reveal that, book. but yeah, we got a book coming out this fall. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can pre-order it now. Plug, plug, plug. And there's a great, great chapter on kamikaze in there. Yeah. The whole thing is just great from top to bottom, Chuck. I'm wondering when we'll be allowed to do some of those chapters as podcast episodes, if ever. I don't know. I don't know why. Well, who gives us ask. that permission? I think we give ourselves that permission. Okay. It's up to us. You're right. Okay. Maybe, maybe a, a couple of years after it's out, we can uh, start, start doling those out a little bit. Harvesting it for parts? Sure. That's another way to put it, right? They could have another life. So, um, well, I mean, the stuff that we talk about, they're not like necessarily entire podcast episodes. Like there, there's definitely more to be said about it. So I no, think totally. we could take any single one of those chapters and turn it into a podcast episode. So climate change, uh, here's a startling statistic. Since the 1970s, the number of Cat 5 and Cat 4 storms has just about doubled. And to the casual observer... Uh, a couple of things. It seems like they're getting worse and more frequent. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to be a genius to figure out if you need warm water to make a hurricane and ocean waters are warming mm -hmm. due to climate change, mm -hmm. then you're going to have more frequent and more severe storms. Right. Right or no? Yeah. I mean, that's the that's how logic goes. And they basically think that's a given, that we're going to have more frequent and more powerful storms. But the the at least according to Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute, there are plenty of X factors left that, that it's not like we just definitively understand how bad hurricanes sure. are going to be or how many more we're going to have. Because remember, the surface 
water has to reach down about 150 feet for a hurricane to form. And one of the big questions is, is if the if there is global warming going on and it's heating the ocean, how deep is it heating the ocean? Because if, if that water, that warm water went beyond 150 feet, then hurricanes should ostensibly be able to become bigger and bigger. And similarly, if that the surface temperature of the ocean is rising, then that just means more evaporating water, which is the key. That's the, the fuel to any hurricane is that moist evaporating water that's rising. That the more you have of that, the bigger amount, more powerful a storm can be. The more energy there is for the storm to use to, to become big and huge and destructive. The, the question is, you know, just how bad is it going to be? But there does seem to be just general consensus that, yes, Climate change is happening, and it's going to result in in worse hurricanes. And it's, I mean, already there were two named storms this year in the Atlantic before hurricane season even started. So they think hurricane season is going to last longer. Uh, It's going to start earlier and last longer. There's going to be more of them. They're probably going to be more destructive. Boo. There's something else that I thought was really interesting, though, too, is that um, the— there, this particular year may not be as bad as it would have been otherwise. It was supposed to be really bad because of the warm sea levels, um, because it started earlier, and because it's a La Nina year, which actually pushes hurricanes back out to sea eventually. Um, right. Because there's La Nina, those those breezes are kind of stilled, comparatively speaking. So the hur- any hurricanes that do develop are just going to sit on land. Like it did, like Dorian did to the Bahamas a year or so ago. It just sat on the Bahamas for 48 hours. That's not supposed to happen. And they were worried that that's going to happen because of this uh, La Nina year. But you know the Saharan dust storms that's going on? Oh, yeah. They think that that's actually drying the air and preventing hurricanes from forming right now. The question is, is how long that will last. Will it last through the whole hurricane season? Or will that eventually stall and hurricanes will come raging through in August and September? Who knows? Wow. So there's hurricanes, everybody. That's right. I think we're going to release a bonus add-on someday into our feed where I try again to explain hurricanes and the cone of uncertainty. (laughs) That stuff drives me nuts, man. Yeah? You ready? I'm ready. Well, uh, obviously, since we're done talking about hurricanes, that means it's time for listener mail. I'm going to call this uh, the other side of the coin. We always like to... Keep things fair and balanced here, right? Right. Hey, guys. Discovered your show about uh, two years ago and wondered, where have you been all my life? I love the show. Don't change a thing. In the Robber Barons episode, you said that conservatives, uh, Josh said conservatives say people aren't perfect. We can never have a perfect society, so let people do whatever they want. That's kind of right, but it's oversimplified and therefore misleading. Uh, In our view, uh, and I take it Tim is a conservative, he says... Since humans are all corrupt, obviously, some more than others, no government can be uncorrupt since it's run by people. Uh, Therefore, we should limit the power of government and give people more freedom. Uh, Since people will generally act in their own best interest, let them decide how they want to spend their money, who they work for, and who they hire and fire. As long as the government uh, protects people's basic rights from others, we will have a pretty good society. Uh, I have always been conflicted about anti-monopoly laws, but... The longer I live, the more I think they're a good thing because we should limit the power of large companies just as we limit the power of the government since those companies are also run by corrupt people. 
Uh, capitalism says, of course you're selfish and so am I, so if you want my money, you have to give me some kind of product or service that makes my life better. Again, we can never have a perfect society, but it would be far worse if the government has too much power to decide how we spend our money because, again, they are corrupt also. Uh, thanks for all the great research and the super fun way you present it. Keep it up. And that is Tim in Minnesota. That's pretty awesome. Thanks a lot, Tim. That was a really great email. Um, yeah. I, well, I'm a conservative now. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty weak-willed as it is. Um, no, but Tim, that was great. Thank you for explaining it further because I definitely knew I was oversimplifying things and to just kind of have the, the, the T's crossed and the I's dotted. That's very helpful. We're going to have to bring you on to explain hurricanes one day. Yeah, and that was a better email than a lot of the uh, blowback we got, which wasn't so instructive and more just like, uh, you guys just reduced that and it's not true. Yeah, blame. I guess you could put it. Yeah. Uh, well, if you want to get in touch with us like Tim did and just be a, a champion hero, uh, you can do that. You can send us an email to stuffpodcast at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 